The Holy Gospel according to Luke. Now on that same day, when Jesus had appeared to Mary Magdalene, two disciples were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning. And when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, He walked ahead as if he were going on, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon, Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This morning we find ourselves on a road, a road with two disciples on their way to Emmaus. Roads connect people and places. They are a way to get to the place where you want to be. They are in-between type spaces, right? When you're on the road, you're neither here nor there. You're simply on the way. 
Madeline thinks it's funny to ask while we're in the car, are we there yet? While we're still cruising at highway speeds. So I answer her while still driving, yes, we're here. This is it. If I ever wonder who taught my sweet girl about sarcasm, just remind me of this story. Roads can be familiar paths that we take every day, or they can lead to new places. They can be filled with adventure or even danger. Roads can be too narrow and filled with traffic, as they often are around here. And they can also be deserted and isolating. Two disciples, Cleopas and his unnamed companion, are grieving, and they take to the road. They had put all their hope in Jesus as the Messiah, but he was killed. They think that the one who gave them so much hope and promised so much is now gone forever. He must not be the one who will redeem Israel. Sure, the tomb was empty, according to some women and a few others, but that doesn't prove much of anything. Who knows what happened to his body? So if Jesus is gone, what next? They leave the city of Jerusalem, leaving other followers of Jesus behind, and they head out by themselves to Emmaus. Maybe Emmaus is home for them, so they are returning to where they are from, the life they lived before Jesus. Or maybe they are traveling to Emmaus because it's not Jerusalem. And in their grief, they need to be anywhere but Jerusalem, the place where they last saw Jesus alive and reminds them of all they have lost. And while they are on this road, trying to leave what has happened behind and move on to the next thing, whatever the next thing happens to be, they are joined by the most unexpected guest. Jesus starts to walk beside them. But to them, he's just a stranger that has intruded in their conversation and is clueless to what's going on in the city. I've always wondered in this account and in the other accounts of the resurrected Jesus appearing What keeps followers of Jesus from recognizing him at first? Is it simply a matter of context, not expecting to see him? Like one time, I was in New York City just for the day, and I was in Grand Central Station, and I heard someone calling my name. I ignored it completely because Sarah is one of the most common names, and so why would it be me? But then I heard my name again, and again. And so finally I looked up and it took me a second to realize it, but it was my very good friend, Annie, from my hometown, also in New York City for the day. But for a moment, it all took a sec to compute. I couldn't believe my eyes. I was so surprised to see her that we would end up in New York City on the same day was a fun coincidence, but to be in Grand Central Station at the same time a place where 750,000 people pass through every day. I would have never seen or recognized her if she hadn't called my name. 
Maybe it's something other than context that keeps Cleopas and the other from recognizing Jesus. Does the resurrected Jesus have a different physical appearance? Has something changed about him? Or does Jesus somehow veil their understanding of who he is so that he can later reveal it dramatically before disappearing? Or was it their grief and loss that kept their eyes from recognizing him? We can't say exactly why these two disciples do not recognize Jesus, but it's comforting to me, at least, to know that they didn't need to recognize Jesus. Jesus walked with them anyway, stayed with them anyway, ate with them anyway. We don't always recognize Jesus, and it's okay. Jesus walks with us, abides with us, and is present with us even when we're not aware of it. The disciples do finally recognize Jesus, though, when they stop for a meal together. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it and gave it to them. It is in this moment that their eyes are opened. Now they understand. Now they know that this mysterious stranger is really their teacher and friend. He was right there, doing exactly what he always did, feeding people. Like he did when he ate with strangers and tax collectors. Like when he fed the crowd of 5,000. Like when he fed the disciples at the Last Supper. In this moment, so incredibly familiar, yes, here is Jesus right here. Once they have this understanding, they can't believe it didn't dawn on them sooner. While they were grieving on the road to whatever comes next, they were never lost or abandoned. Jesus was there the whole time. We believe that God is always with us, that God is everywhere. We teach this to our children. We say it with encouragement to one another, we remind ourselves when we need that reminder. And even still, knowing that God is always with us, everywhere, wherever we go, whatever road we are on, Jesus isn't always easy to recognize. Even for us disciples, for those of us well-practiced at seeing Jesus, So we celebrate that not only is Jesus everywhere, but that Jesus is specifically right here, at the table, in the breaking of the bread. When we're unsure of where Jesus is, when we're having a little trouble seeing exactly how God is at work, we know at least one place where we can be assured of divine presence where we can receive Jesus' body tangible and tactile, so real and so present that we can taste its goodness and be sustained by the promise that Jesus is with us, that Jesus is all around us and in us, and Jesus is right here in our hands. This is my body given for you. 
I had a conversation recently with a woman who expressed a belief in God that was complicated. She didn't believe in the God of her childhood, the one that was promoted as being all-powerful, all-loving, all-merciful, all-knowing. If God is all of these things, then why does the bad stuff happen? Surely the all-powerful, all-knowing God could do something and is just deciding not to act, which is not all-loving or merciful. How can we believe all of these things at once when they contradict each other? I was ready to jump in, but then her tone changed. She softened. But I do believe in something, she continued. Maybe not the God I grew up with, but something. We're all connected. There's so much beauty in the world. God has to exist. I thought about everything she said. And I thought about the disciples who are on the road to Emmaus. How Jesus is both hidden and revealed. We can love God and put our faith in God, but parts of God are still a mystery to us. Right now we see in part, but one day we will see in full. There are things simply outside of our human understanding. Sometimes I like the mystery of it. I wonder at a God that's too big to completely grasp, too big to fully know, sometimes unseen. And other times, like the kind woman I was speaking with, I'm curious to see what God has been up to growing impatient for that heavenly kingdom I long for. That's one of the reasons I love Holy Communion. I love that so much of our worship time is devoted to this divine shared meal. Because whenever God feels too big, whenever life's heartbreaks have led to a rapid, unscheduled disassembly, of the faith that holds me together. I knew Pastor Josh would get that reference, but a lot of other people didn't seem to giggle at it. Anyway. All right, thank you, thank you. I can return to this table and hold all of God's promises in the palm of my hand. Jesus revealed in the breaking of the bread. During communion today, four, no, sorry, it's not four anymore. It's three young people who will receive communion for the first time. Chloe, Isabella, and Xander. Teddy, when he's feeling better, will receive next week. They were here on Wednesday making delicious bread, which we'll receive today. And while mixing and measuring, we learned about this holy meal They are celebrating a milestone in their lives of faith, and we celebrate with them. And whether you are receiving communion for the first time, or you can't remember the first time you took communion, it was so long ago, whether you're receiving this meal at 2 or 32 or age 82, communion is something to celebrate. In this journey of faith, when we're usually somewhere along the road, always on the move, we can rest assured that if our hope is to be with Jesus, 
then we can say with absolute sincerity, yes, we're here. This is the place. This table is a moment to pause and to break bread with our companions, to consider that while we're still on our way, we are also already there, right where we belong. We are already in the very presence of Jesus. In the bread and cup, Jesus is made known to us. In this gift of wheat and vine, we receive what we are, the body of Christ. Jesus is with us everywhere, and Jesus is with us right here in the palms of our hands. Let us taste and see that the Lord is good.